Extortion. Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode number 395. My name is Brando. Another two-guest episode for you today. Coming up later on under Appetite for Discovery, we get to meet John Diva from John Diva and the Rockets of Love. They have a new album, their third album, The Big Easy, coming out on March 17th. If you like hair metal and there's the old-school 80s vibe, Van Halen, GNR, obviously they are for you, so coming up. John Diva, but first, a band that's been doing it for so long, Overkill, lead singer, Bobby Blitz, they have their 20th album coming out, Scorched, let's find out all about it, and of course, the six degrees of GNR Bacon, if he has any. Hey Bobby, how are you sir? Brando, pleasure to be here with another guy from the area, from the tri-state area, I'm doing quite well. Over here in New Jersey. Right now, where in, uh, I always say this, as a New Yorker, I really don't know a lot of New Jersey. I always know MetLife Stadium, because that's where all the concerts are, but where in New Jersey are you? Are you, are you a native New Yorker? Or? Yeah, yeah. Uh, family's from Brooklyn. I'm in Queens currently. Grew up on Long Island. But New Jersey, it's... <laughs> it's, it's, it's like it's, a foreign country. Exactly. I was just about to say that. We're heard all over the world, so maybe people don't understand. Like, oh, New York, New Jersey, right next to each other. There are toll bridges. It's just this... I only you need go- a passport to get in here. You got to go through security. You got to <laughs> go through customs. I know. So uh, I'm, a, I'm approximately... Uh, 60 miles west of the George Washington Bridge. Okay. Uh, So I live up in northwest Jersey. I'm closer to Pennsylvania than I am to New York City. I'm only about uh, 20 miles from PA. But this is uh, what they call the Skylands. It's a, it's kind of a resort area. It's the part of Jersey that many people from Brooklyn and Queens, we try to keep the hell out of here. (laughs) Well, the point point being is it's a, uh, it's a resort area, Uh, ski slopes, Outdoor. Oh. Uh, I, I've had black bear uh, hibernate on my property now for 15 years. So I've known all the moms, all the cubs. Oh, wow. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. And I've also, you know, simultaneously I've raised um, German shepherds. So having black bear on the property and having German shepherds, you think it would be a big issue. But all it is is uh, it's a push and shove of stay back, go beyond the fence, that kind of a thing. You know, so it's... Um, it's actually cool. I mean, if you're into the nature and riding motorcycles and skiing, this is the place to be. Has that ever inspired a song? Have you ever written a thrash song about a bear? No, I haven't written it specifically about <laughs> a bear, but there, there can be those frightening moments. I have I have an old uh, chalet. It's kind of like a, you know where you'd go when you were skiing, you know, mm. to fireplace and a whole bit. And my office was in the basement that looked out to the back, and I was writing, I forget what record. It might have been the Ironbound record. And sure enough, there's one at the window. And I mean, I'm talking 400 pounds of black standing up, peeking in through the side window. must have smelled something cooking. And it scared the shit out of me enough to actually finish the song. So I don't even write about the bear, but the inspiration was there. Okay, I'll take that. I appreciate that. And because before, I'm glad we started out this way as far as where you are locally and off the air. We were just talking briefly. You thought this was a Mets shirt. No, it's the Knicks. They're actually playing well uh, this time around. That's right. Um, because before we get into your 20th album, 
which is insane, scorched. I want to find out what it was like growing up in New Jersey for you when there weren't, where you were the, almost like the first. You were the first before Metallica, before the, the big four overkill started right in 1980. So I'm just curious how that happened when you were kind of the leader or the, the, gen, the, the beginning, the genesis of this movement. Who were you looking to as a kid for inspiration and how did you form your sound? I mean, it's a, I mean, it's a it's a good question, but I think there's a misconception here because this has been formed by uh, via the internet, where all things are fucking true. Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's but, why I ask. I know I'm going to be wrong half the time with the things that I ask. So that's why I ask them. We started in 1980, yes, uh, but we were a cover band, so there was no there was no overkill great dream of breaking the thrash barrier. We were doing everything from ACDC and the Scorpions to uh, some uh, Iron Maiden, the early Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, but we were mixing it with punk rock. So Mm -hmm. I think really the formula for thrash is kind of a traditional and new wave of British heavy metal mixed with the punk of the day. Now, I think that what was happening out in the West Coast was simultaneously was the same thing, but they beat us to the punch with regard to writing their own songs. Mm. That said, they also had a different punk. We had a scene here in New York City. I actually attended Manhattan College down in the Bronx. Mm. And uh, I did so. It was the late 70s. So I could be part of that punk scene. We had the Dead Boys. We had the Ramones. We had the early Blondie, Patti Smith, Television, New York Dolls, Johnny Thunders. Goes on and on. In any case, I wore a safety pin occasion. But the... Uh, <laughs> But we mixed up our metal with that. And there were the differences between the two. But those guys for sure beat us to the punch with uh, uh, Metal Up Your Ass and then the record uh, that followed Kill Em All. And it's, you know, so there really is no debate about the whole thing who was first. They they changed the scope of music or the, the, the entire landscape. And, it, you know, I'm not here kissing ass. I'm just trying to set the, uh, set the record straight. No, I, I appreciate that because I'm here to be educated. I, I want to know. So I guess when you were, you know, being a cover band and your inspiration is a lot of these punk bands, how did you form the Overkill sound? How did you be, uh, formulate the the band that it is all these years later, 20 albums later? When did that idea, was it because you heard what the West Coast was doing? You're like, oh, let me try this? Or what was uh, the, the beginnings of the formulation of, of the Overkill we know now? I got a very quick addendum to that first answer before we go on to this. Sure. And that is, Brando, that they may have done that out in San Francisco, but they had to come to fucking New Jersey to get it released by Megaforce Records. Mm. <laughs> so there. Mm. <laughs> so so we have hands on both sides of the, the states here because we were later signed to Megaforce. You know, I think the band developed naturally with regard to that. Um, when... You know, I had met Dee Dee Verney and the original drummer, Rat Skates. I was playing with a guy, Rob Pesaric. I mean, we were just college students having some fun. And Rob wasn't a punk guy, but Dee Dee and Rat were. And so were I. So that's when it started. You know, you started forming your alliances and starting going out to these shows. And I remember seeing the Dead Boys at the Ritz in like, you know, 1981. And that I mean, they didn't even have a bass player. And Steve Bader's the singer, said, we don't have he's not here tonight, but we need the money. You know, and we were like, what the f- this is awesome. <laughs> but it developed around that. Um, I think that you started, you know, it's kind of like baking something. You know, you have so many ingredients into it that eventually it just turns out a certain way. And if you're not following a recipe that's exact, you don't know what the result's going to be. 
In our case, it became thrash or East Coast thrash based on the East Coast punk. But that developed very quickly after after that uh, those formidable years. And by 1985, we had released and we're still doing punk covers up to that point. And still to this day, uh, throw a punk in here and there. That Right on that. See, I love learning about how these things form and where we get today. So what about the, the legendary voice of Bobby Blitz? When did you realize you can hit those notes and, and sing like that? Because not everybody can do that. You can do that. You're probably yelling at home with my brothers and sisters. My mother goes, stop that. You're giving me a headache. God, it's like nails on a chalkboard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did your parents love what you were doing or did they think that it was kind of a phase? My mom was a uh, my mom was a singer. She actually toured with Mitch Miller. Oh, uh, she uh, she I remember her singing voice before I remember her speaking voice. Wow! Um, and she sang to all her kids. She was uh, first generation Irish American, hmm. and she had she had eight sisters. So there's nine girls in the family, and and four boys, and the girls would harmonize around they would harmonize around the fireplace on weekends for my grandparents, huh. you know? So this was like, you know what? I, the only reason I became a singer was not because I was good. It was because I was not afraid. Most guys are afraid to stand behind the mic. Huh. I'm not doing that. I'm going to embarrass myself when you're a kid, but I just, I couldn't really sing. I didn't have my mother's talent, but I had something in there that said, I'm not afraid to do this. We do this at home all the time. Hmm. That's her, uh, that's her eight by 10 right there. Oh, wow. What a beautiful woman. I, I love that old school. Uh, that's from the Copacabana in, uh, uh, in New York. Oh, yeah, that old school. Look. So I mean, there's, there's a legacy here. So there's, uh, of course, that she lived vicariously through me because she decided to start a family with uh, a sailor she met from the Korean War. Mm, mm. See, I, I love that. Just a sweet story. Somewhere there will be yeah. a uh, a rom com written about your your family's life. Uh, so, <laughs> flash forward a lot. Did you ever foresee twenty albums and and doing this for so many years? Overkill. I mean, did you ever foresee this happening in your life? Or was it, again, you starting this band and maybe you were going to get a, a nine to five and band would be kind of your side gig? Did you always know that this was going to be your life? You know, I I didn't. Uh, I knew it was the biggest turn on. Um, I knew it was a desire. Uh, but, that you know, the length of the career or the length of the, the amount of time invested is all hindsight. I mean, I, I was never long sighted. I was one of those people that was living in the moment. Uh, um, in many cases, I still do. Um, sometimes it's a, a blessing. Sometimes it's a curse. I think that partnering with Dee Dee Verney over all these years, we, we have differences in our personality where you get the best, where I'm more of an immediate person and he's more of a long sighted person. So we're prepared for the future yet. We can explode in the moment. And I think if you take both of those together, you get the best of both worlds. Uh, but if you asked me back in 87 on the second record, I didn't know if there was going to be a third record. I mean, I just didn't, I just didn't have, I, it, there was no rules. There was no, there was no road to follow here. It was just happening around you and forming itself from day to day. So you couldn't say, oh, well, we're going to do this and we're going to get in the old musicians union or and then we're going to go to AFTA and then we're going to, none of that happened. It just was show after show after year after year after record after record. And you turn around and you have to decide for yourself, was it satisfying or was it not? And at this point, I mean, it's always been satisfying for me. 40 years in Levi's and motorcycle boots. I mean, what could be better? 
So I guess, how do you feel today? I mean, you kind of answered that, that you have your 20th record coming out scorched uh, April 14th. How do you look at that? Did it go by in a blip? Or you're like, oh, look at, wow, look at everything I accomplished. Do you ever, do you sit back and remember and, and appreciate? Or is it just, are you still looking for, are you looking toward your 30th album at this point? Well, again, I'm not looking toward the 30th record. You know, that that's really, it's me to live in scorched at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, to not really live in the last record or not to live in the pandemic. What was the, you know, not to say, oh, this ruined me. Um, I think more in terms of, the most important thing for me is to be relevant in, in the current day, uh, to not be a novelty act. Um, the point that we can still take that old house and put a fresh coat of paint on it hmm. every couple of years gives us new opportunity. And to be able to force those parameters out, I mean, to aspire to be a better guitar player, songwriter, drummer, singer, bass player, that's what gets you good results. That's what keeps you out of the old, uh, uh, out of the old novelty section in the, uh, in, in the, in, in the vinyl stores. Hmm. So I, I guess, how do you feel? And, uh, I know it could be a tricky thing to answer and you clarified a little bit earlier about as far as who was quote unquote first. And I don't think it really, that might matter when you're all kind of forming a sound in different parts of the country, but you see, you know, Metallica, you see Megadeth, do you see them as, you know, they've been doing it for a long time also, but they've gone through a lot of band changes, a lot of things, and then Overkill has almost been kind of, you have as well, but you've been kind of very consistent putting out, not waiting long between albums. Is there any sort of, do you look at them like, where's our, uh, where's our flowers? You know, uh, are we not getting the same uh notoriety i guess as some of the other i mean for me and a lot of the metal bands the thrash bands we we know but it's not a household name like a megadeth like a like a metallica uh i hate to say that but um i guess how do you i want i want to parade too yeah (laughs) i I guess or do you not even think about that does it not even matter to you because it's not that's not what it's all about well, you know, I think if you're, you know, if you're looking at it from the outside, you have an opinion. But if you're living it from the inside, it, it's a different, it's a different world. You know, I, I think I answered in the last one. I said it's been forty years in Levi's for me. No, I mean that is a testimony to a life well lived. Hmm. I can't think to myself in terms of what could have been, or if we only did this, or we could have been them. That's ridiculous. I can't speak for them. Um, I look at my own success or my own happiness based on my own success. You know, if you want to even take this a step further, if we're, let's say, the second tier of this, there's a third tier that wants to be the second tier. And there's a fourth tier that would kill to be the third tier. You you know, and so it's not a matter of I want that. Do I want it? Sure. Am I dissatisfied with what I have? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Could that be the reason I never attained that higher level? Could be. But the but the point is I'll never know because of the satisfaction I have in this. I'm not I'm not gonna look at my life and say, Oh, poor me, it should have been more. It was a lot just to begin with. Hmm. And oh, that's a great perspective. And it's not even because I know it's a it is a you said it right at the beginning, where it's the outside perspective, the fan, how they look at it and how you are living it. It's two different viewpoints. Um but I guess sometimes it's like you've been doing it for so long, and even with this new album, which kicks off so hard, so fast, and it's just, 
you know, why isn't uh, if if you do an interview or if Dave Mustaine does an interview, you'll see Dave uh, everywhere. But Bobby Blitz, hopefully, you see everywhere. So it's just it's interesting where it's a similar sound, but the outside, the way that we view it, I, I don't know. It's just again the the fan versus the band. We're creating controversies where they don't need to need to be. It's just an interesting perspective, but I, I like the way you look at it because, like you said, right. you've been living your life and enjoying it and been successful, regardless of how fans may see it. My niece is a school teacher right now, and she um, in high school, she was doing a project and she was taking kind of a survey and she was writing about the people in her family and their careers. And she went through my brother, who was an attorney, uh, her mom, who was a, um, a nurse. Et cetera, et cetera. Just to write down the line. She got to me. You know, she said, she said, I know you're a singer and I know you go touring and I know you write songs. I mean, are, are you like Metallica? And I said, no. I said, you know, we play a similar type of music, but we're not like Metallica. Well, what's the difference? I said, well, here, see if you get this. I said, Metallica endear themselves to the masses. We alienate the masses and endear ourselves to the minority. And that minority would kill for us. <laughs> See, she got it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That, that's that's kind of what the answer I was looking for, and I I appreciate that as someone who really tries to stick to who I am and to please the masses. I mean, that just seems to be a I don't know. That could be a winless war. Just be who you are, be yourself, and uh, you'll you'll be happy with what you do in life. So tell me about Scorched and the 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 pandemic kind of made it delayed how long did it take to work on this record would it because usually you're pretty quick turning out records did it delay scorch taking uh coming out 24 months we're usually you know we're showing our face every 24 months we run on a clock of you know write record promote release tour right you know repeat and um you know if you don't tour at our level then the record could be a wasted uh effort because the touring itself is what gives it gives the the record legs at our level because it's a one-on-one -on -one type of a, a situation with us it's obviously smaller venues or theaters but we have to get out there and be able to show that these songs exist in a live uh circumstance the same for bigger bands but we have to do it simultaneously i mean we have to do it simultaneously with, with the release and have it over that period of time without clock runs that i just um, talked about in this case we were originally slated for April 21. I had the demo right at the lockdown. Uh, we were on the road, we were sent home. I mean, obviously we're on the road. I mean, that's where we live in many cases. Um, we were sent home from the Carolinas and I started messing around with it by the 20th of March, um, thinking that we were gonna release in approximately a year. We had set up the guy to mix it, Colin Richardson and uh, Chris Clancy from the UK. Um, and then shit just hit the fan, you know, it just kept getting extended and extended. So Didi and I, uh, my partner talked about it and said, we got to wait, we have to try to time this so that does, this doesn't become a lost entity, in, you know, in our discography, that's something that's just there that a certain amount of the people pick up, but you know, the rest missed because we got, uh, we didn't have the chance to tour it. So I do think that the four years, it's almost exactly four years, four years, two months to, uh, between records, longest time we ever took. Hmm. I think the results show themselves in Scorched. Um, we've never taken that amount of time, but with that amount of time, have actually been able to push those boundaries outward to make the parameters different than they had been in the past. 
and come up with something that's really eclectic. Um, it's metal, uh, but it's traditional metal. It's thrash, but it goes to progressive thrash. It's groove, but it almost goes to blues sometimes. Uh, it's rock and roll, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you go down that whole that whole scope of things. We've written a record for ourselves that has covered every bass that we liked uh, as kids and then later on musicians and tied the whole thing together with an overkill sound. So it's something I'm really proud of. Did it was it almost a blessing in disguise? Maybe the delay did allow you to do more with the songs and the album than it previously would have, since you're kind of churning it out um, before. Uh, because it, what'd you say, twenty four months turnaround usually? Usually twenty four. Yes. Um, for me, it was a blessing in disguise. Um, I think for Dave, it was too, and I think for all of us. I mean, the, the majority of the demo was skeletal, but the drums were. Uh, were tracked by June of 2020. So they remained pretty much the same. A few add-ons here and there, a few overdubs. Uh, but it gave Dave and I a whole bunch of time to mess around with melodies. Uh, Dave, the guitar player. So he would write a melody and I would hear it and I would sing a counter melody or I would sing a melody and he would play a counter melody. And these are elements that we usually don't add to too many of our records. You know, they're here and there. They're sprinkled in. But this record has a whole bunch of time where you can tell that we thought about certain things and we did it remotely to enhance the record. This said, all the ear candy starts coming in. There's choirs singing. There are church bells. There's a cello. There is, you know, one thing after another. All these things would have been missed hmm. if uh, in that two month, uh, uh, 24 month turnaround. So I think that I think that the record itself benefited from that amount of time that the that the pandemic uh, allowed us to work on this. That's interesting. And blessing in this, obviously, pandemic is terrible. Was terrible. People died. But I mean, for me, I you would normally be in a radio studio because I work for iHeartRadio. But now I get to be at home and, and still be able to work at home. Blessing in disguise, so I can interview people whenever I want. Uh, That's kind of right. That's kind of cool. It is. Uh, so, what are you most excited about? I guess for this record, for people to hear. I was privy to be able to listen to it before, and even just from the first, those first licks, man, it just wow! It really takes you for a ride. So, what are you excited most about Scorched? Well, I think you know the, the thing that makes the record to me. When I just mentioned all those different characteristics of it. I mean, that's all great, all well and good and all that happy horse shit to throw everything in in the kitchen sink. But you still have to tie the fucking thing together. Mm. You know, you can't just say, oh, everything on this record is different because because that can be kind of awkward when you're when you're when you're listening to difference one after another. The idea is to tie it all together through the mix and put your stamp on it to take it and make it your own. And I think we succeeded in that. I think we succeeded in it because of the mix. The fact that it has like a traditional heavy metal sound, it has a traditional kind of a thrash sound. It goes back. It's like living in two eras. It is relevant and present in 2023, but something screams in the mix. I'm, I'm in 1990 in my head. I'm not going to say organic, but I am going to say that that was some of the thought that went into the mixing. And I think it was that's what succeeded in tying the record together to make it one specific sound over the course of three generations by this point to be able to say this is this is today and this is then and they happen simultaneously on the same on the same uh, platter 
I think that that was the key to making this uh, successful. I look forward personally to just get out and play. I mean, that's just, you know, that's what keeps me going. That's the drug I've been chasing for, God, for 37 years. You know, you stand on a stage and the first time you get the real high, you're looking for that real high again and again and again and again. And that's what keeps the touring going. You know, that's what keeps the whole thing rolling. So that tour will start the day before the release over in Europe. Uh, we'll be in uh, Germany on the 13th of uh, April to start our tour. And then the next day the record comes out. So it's um, it's going to be good to get back into that, uh, you know, that clock phase of uh, of uh, touring right now. Yeah, the routine that you love so much and you've been doing for so many years. And uh, people want to see the, the dates. I mean, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you have a band camp. Uh, the dates are all up there. Uh, you, you may notice, because I'm jealous, as because, I mean, obviously I like Overkill, but as you can see behind me, Guns N' Roses in, in the name of the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, they don't. They have not released twenty albums. <laughs> they do not release an album every two years. It would be a very different band if they did. So what I do here is I try to find a six degrees of Gene R. Bacon, and I'm not sure if you have one. I'm curious if you do have any Guns N' Roses connections, and if not, just what you thought of the band when they debuted in in 1987, when you had been doing this hard music for so long, and when Appetite came out. So. Uh, either both of those or just, uh, you know, uh, whatever GNR related you have. Well, I don't have any, I don't have any, um, six degrees. Okay. Uh, I do remember when they came out, they actually did a show at Lemoore's. That's where I saw them in Lemoore in Brooklyn. Right. Um, this was, you know, I suppose this is the whiskey Roxy days for them. Gazari's out in, mm. you know, on the, on the left coast, uh, I can't, I can't be 100% sure, but I'm pretty sh- Obviously, Appetite came out, and then it exploded after that. And this is right before it exploded. Lemoore's was uh, you know, a 1,700-seat venue in uh, in Bay Ridge, Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. Um, and we were actually managed by the guys that ran Lemoore. So that's how we got you know simply in there. I mean, the band Guns N' Roses is already big but they were club big at that time okay um so it was really cool to be involved in that at a grassroots level because it's still a club kind of a situation and the thing i thought about that record um you know i wasn't like a big kind of um an la guy uh for for whatever those scene that scene was at that particular time it was you know it was kind of the antithesis of what we were doing we you know if that was the christ we were the antichrist kind of a thing you know i was more of a slayer fan or Metallica fan and not really that sunset strip kind of a mm. kind of a dude. Let's go all go to the rainbow. You know, we'll go to the rainbow, we're getting into fist fight. That's what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding, of course. Sure. But the uh I thought that record was fucking dirty. And that's what I really liked about that record. That I I thought to myself, oh, it just changed. <laughs> the whole thing just fucking changed now. Now these guys are gonna be being chased by the scene chasers because they've set the bar and they set the bar way higher and they did it with simplicity. You know, that's what I really liked about it. They did it with, they did it with rock and roll, you know, obviously they had, you know, they were um, a fashionable fed um, at one time, but I thought there was a genuineness to it. That was, you know, it was more reminiscent of, you know, the stones let it bleed than it was, you know, poisons talk dirty to me mm-hmm. kind of. Yeah. <laughs> thing. So, you know, to me, 
I was always that rock and roll guy. So this kind of shit took me back. This riff oriented, you know, you didn't need vocal perfection. You just needed to to get your message across with attitude and melody um, and and dirty fucking guitars and drums. So that's that's my first Guns N' Roses experience. And that's just I can't remember the year. But still, I, I wish because uh, I'm. I guess too young. I'm going to be 40 this year that I missed out on the, the Lamore days, even though I'm from Brooklyn. It's just uh, a little bit before my time, but I hear these wonderful stories about it. So I appreciate you, uh, you sharing that. Uh, August and just cause I know you have more interviews to do. This is a question from a listener. What's your favorite overkill song to play live? This is from uh, Tom. Well, Tom, um, there was some kind of an epiphany somewhere in, 2010 when writing the Ironbound record and when I finally got through when all the smoke cleared when I was writing my part to that the melodies and the lyrics um and I listened to what I demoed I I said to myself I said this song will be in the set until we die <laughs> and I still love performing it to this day Right on, right on. So that's for uh, Tom Pasqua. Uh, so listeners were excited to, to hear from you today because, yeah, obviously with a GNR theme, you know, I might be in that Sunset Strip kind of orb and talking to those kind of bands, but to kind of expand and learn about them. Because I've had, you know, Dave Mustaine on. I've had Anthrax on before. So I just love learning about that, that time and that heavy music that still exists to this day that people didn't think that maybe thrash would survive or heavy metal would survive that it was a, a phase and look at 2023 where all you know overkill especially included just going on these very successful tours and there's such a need and passion for this music so just as a fan thank you for continuing to do it and not stopping thank you, thank you. i mean it's you know I, I tell you the older i get the the more appreciation i have for even other things that went on around me during that era um, including some of that Sunset Strip stuff. You know, I mean, rock and roll is rock and roll. And if it's sure. real, it's real. And it just happens to take many different little faces or, or, or changes through it to, to to pigeonhole it into a genre or a subgenre. But it's uh, it all starts with the drums and the guitar and the bass, man. That's uh, that's what it's all about. Yeah, that's that's what I'm all about too. It's a uh, rock and roll, and it's the it's kind of the parallels. Like the theme is Guns N' Roses, but I talk about everything else. The th- it's the nucleus is rock and roll and wherever it goes, wherever the Venn diagram or that, that graph goes, that's what I'm into. The, the, the guitar and the singer that can just melt your face off just like you, Bobby. So, uh, <laughs> awesome. And I really hope we get to do this again, continue success and just continue being the legend that you are. Brando, thank you. You got it. Take care. Recording stopped. Thank you, Bobby. I'll probably put this out next week and I'll tag you and all that fun stuff. Sounds good, man. Take care. I got to run. I got another one. You got it. Bye-bye. Thanks, Brenda. So no six degrees of GNR Bacon with Bobby Blitz. However, I really enjoyed his answer about his perception of Guns N' Roses and Appetite for Destruction during that time period. And that's good enough for me. (laughs) So let's find out the connection and let's meet John Diva in a segment we'd like to call Appetite for Discovery. I just want very appetite. That's the goal. Very appetite. For Discovery. And now it is time for a segment I really like to do here on the podcast. Appetite for Discovery. Especially when it's an artist or a band that's from another country. that Perhaps that we don't know here in the States. And I love that this podcast reaches all countries. So perhaps some of my German listeners know exactly who my next guest is. 
John Diva from John Diva and the Rockets of Love. How are you, Mr. Diva? How are you, sir? I'm very fine. Thank you for having me. I'm tuning in from uh, beautiful, sunny Berlin today, uh, where we're actually uh, preparing for our upcoming tour starting March 17th. And uh, so I'm very fine. I'm happy to be on that very special podcast of yours, which is taped on video and uh, also audio, as far as I understood. So you could either hear us or watch us or both, right? Yeah, absolutely. So that's what I like to say. And I'm very fortunate with this podcast because Guns N' Roses reaches all over the world. And I'm lucky, I guess, that I reach all over the world, too, even though because I have listeners who English is not their first language. So when I say, like, I'm on iHeartRadio, iHeart is pretty much like North America and, and, and I believe South America as well. It's not other parts of the world. So I'm heard and, and seen on YouTube and Spotify and Apple Podcasts, wherever you find your podcast. But what I like is being able to find you because this is your going to be your third album that's coming up. And I'm kind of first learning about you. So I'm, I, it's, I say discovery, but there are people who act, know exactly who you are. So I want to learn all about the Big Easy that's coming out. But before we get there, I like to talk to all of my guests about what they were like when they were young and, and the path that they went on. Because I've spoken about that, you know, how I got into classic rock and how I got into music. But I only know what it's like to be a little boy in, you know, New York. I don't know what it's like to be a little diva. In, in Berlin in Germany so how did you first get into into music and how did you get on this path yeah good question a uh, long time ago but I can you know uh, I'm a classical small town boy in a way uh, I mean we, we moved a lot <clears throat> I lived in the States as well as in Germany and Europe uh, with a single single uh, single mom hmm. who brought me up and who was totally into rock and roll. So very early there was uh, music around and uh, I, I was going for rock music very early. Uh, I hit my first guitars with eight or something and the neighbor kid had his drum kit. So we, we, we formed a band at the age of eight already and jammed out all the time. And, uh, you know, you know, trying out for, for local band contests. So that was really number one. Before there was sports or girls, it was just always music. <clears throat> and uh, um, I think uh, very inspiring. I, I look back to, I mean, beside the records of my mother, which was classical, Doors, Janice, The Stones, Hendrix, a lot of Beatles and stuff. I totally was um, was a fan of The Kings. Mm. I saw a very early show by The Kings in the early 80s where they pretty pretty much rocked hard. So that wasn't really the 60s sound. It was really, they, they, they had a phase where they were rather hard rocky <clears throat> and inspired a lot of bands. I mean, among these, Van Halen, as we all know. And... Uh, Van Halen was the next huge blow for me where I really understood, okay, it's going to be the California energy that I'm digging. Because before that, I was rather into White Snake, Purple, and all the British upcomings. Hmm. And uh, Van Halen changed me finally to to the good old American, let's say, hot rock. And from there on, I you know drifted along to California, to all the hair metal, glam rock. And uh, of course, uh, after a while, it came about Guns N' Roses. Who wouldn't? Yeah, of course. And so where did you live in, in the States? Did you live out, out west? In, in LA? San Diego. 
San Diego and uh, for a short while was in Ohio for a while and, oh. uh, and so so you know I, I came across the country here and there oh okay and I gotta ask the cliche I mean what about the scorpions I mean that uh, don't they sing the national anthem in, in Germany or isn't <laughs> no well, hopefully not um, I mean you know it's it's funny because the scorpions are a great band and I think in the metal community it's totally understood that they wrote some classic albums and that they very early had figured out how to make us to make his record sound really heavy and juicy i mean this is really amazing how good they sound at the same time they they have a very funny um uh uh reputation in germany because uh they're not the coolest brothers on the hood i'd say you know and uh so, so it's in germany it's it, it's a mixture um but people know that worldwide they are very very popular and well known and i have uh, a lot of respect for for their music that's cool because you never know and that's what i'm curious about with like other countries where you if you like if you're in Australia, if it's like ACDC or, you know, British, right. if it's kind of like that hometown, that's what you aspire to to be. But that's cool that you saw Van Halen, which is quite, you know, a different upbringing than what you had traditionally. And, David, oh, yeah. you know, so uh, I'm assuming you were really drawn to David Lee Roth and being a front man. Is that what you, oh, yeah. you know, is that? Oh, yeah. Did you try to play maybe an instrument first or did you always knew you were going to be a front man and a singer? No, it, I, I played. I played the guitar. I love the guitar, and you know, then you, then you just with a couple of dudes. Let's say you're like ten or something. You stand in there in the garage. There's another guitar player, uh, and back in that days, it, it was unthinkable that a drummer would be a singer. So it was mm -hmm. either this guy or me, and it was clear to see that this guy, the other guy, he, he wouldn't sing at all. And I, at that time, I said, okay, I'm going to do it. But I think that's a classical story for a lot of singers that they just like. Uh, start with an instrument and somebody has to do it and back in that day they don't know that they probably are singers and will become singers because I mean I never was shy I always was searching for the stage so I suppose uh, it was kind of meant to be and coming back to David when I saw Panama on MTV I was in my I don't know I was around nine or 10 years old, I, this like totally blew me away. Like I have never ever seen such a thing before. Like this, this entertainment ship, this funny, always smiling over the top performance, like how they, how they like swing in there. You're like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's something that really changed my whole perspective on rock and roll that it just can be funny and smiling all the time. And, uh, uh, so I really chose the American Van Halenish way from then on. And that was just, just a huge, huge, uh, uh, impression on me. Do you remember the first concert that you went to? Um, I mean, there were some rather smaller shows that I probably wouldn't even know anymore who that was, you know, with, with my mother here and there. Um, it must have been, it was probably, it was probably either the Kings, they were already pretty old, but still rocking in, in at the beginning of the 80s. Yeah, it, it was the Kings. Okay, that's a great yeah. first concert. Yeah, it is. That's a legendary first concert. So tell us uh, the origin story of, of John Diva and the Rockets of Love. How did that come about? How did that form? 
Well, you know, um, all of us were kind of traumatized by the early 90s when Nirvana blew away hot rock, hair metal, and all the big bands of the 80s. And uh, there was a certain time where you could wear a Nirvana shirt and a Guns N' Roses shirt at the same time. Uh, but that wasn't possible a couple of years later anymore because everything split apart and uh, and Axel, I mean, we were talking about that later, was uh, was uh, enemy number one for certain persons. And uh, so, so we were all ready to take on Stadium Rock. And then we found each other struggling through the 90s, like said, fuck, we kind of lost our home, you know? Mm. And uh, when we met, you know, it was certain groups of friends Snake Rocket coming in with Remy Martin, and I brought in JJ Love, who's an old high school friend of mine. Um, and in the end, it was like always, it was like drunk talk, you know, oh yeah, let's make a band, this and that, like back in the days. And Snake Rocket back at the time was a pretty decent booker as well. And he said, yeah, we're gonna do it. And uh, the week after he had a couple of shows already on. And so, so we had to do stuff and we started, you know, covering, just doing some tribute shows to just like get warm again. And, um, it worked pretty decently, pretty good actually. And suddenly we, we had shows, uh, and, and we, we, we had a program, we had a band, we had everything. And, um, suddenly we were booked to really big festivals, mostly over in Germany, Wacken, which is a huge mm. metal festival. And you, you read the lineup and everything was black, 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 pink, black, black. Who's the pink guy, you know? <laughs> so that was John Diva. And um, that was 10 years ago. And uh, from then on, I would say within the last 10 years, it really went good for glam rock. You know, there's quite some bands yeah. um, carrying on the torch. And uh, But back then, there wasn't so much. And uh, I think we, we, we hit the sweet spot to start again. And then it was clear for us to to do new songs and uh, record our own albums. So it, it started with booze, like always. <laughs> like always. Uh, and, and you're right. I think that's why, and it's interesting that Steel Panther. I'm sure they get brought up with you because it's they're they lead, they're one of the bands that lead this renaissance. That they are kind of I don't know, I want to say joke, but parody band. However, people want to hear more stuff from them. They want they like this music anyway, even though they're kind of not making fun of it, but they're just uh, being extra, as the kids say, with it. Yeah, and it wasn't. I don't know if they were really. If it was really meant to be more than just a live show, but now they're touring the world, and it's the same yeah. thing with you, where you're 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 being more serious with it, though. Um, so I guess tell me about the this upcoming record because it, it's there's it's I think the the one sheet that I got is like this is going back to the roots of the '80s and the hard licks and, and the fast riffs. So uh, are you, it's what wait like a month away from uh, the new record coming out. Yeah, not even. It's uh, it's also 17th of March, so so we kick off the tour. Oh, yeah. The same day the album is coming out, so that's almost uh, two and a half weeks, not even. Uh, so I'm super excited at the moment, of course. But yeah, uh, just a very, very quick flashback. The first album, Mama Said Rock is Dead, was like always the debut. You know, you do it fast, you do it quick, and you don't think too much. And it was a huge success. We we went up the billboards uh, over here in Germany up to 23 in the album charts. Uh, and nobody expected that, really nobody. 
and we we toured our asses off and that was actually mama said i would say the concert was write 11 songs that didn't make it on the big big records in the 80s you know so you could have easily put one to Motley crew one to def leppard and that was really the concept mm. in a way second album american amadeus was kind of over exaggerate all the alter ego there is in john diva make it big and uh, we took steps to the 70s from the sound but also as well bit to country you could also find a song like moving back to paradise which would be on a b-side of a david lee roth record for example so we like kind of ex exaggerated the the genre whereas now we're think i think we're like really focusing in on good songs on songwriting a little bit more classic rock than hair metal mm. a bit away from LA back to New Jersey in a way um very american sound i would say big songs big anthems and uh lyrical wise we're so far away from steel panther right now like uh europe is from san diego mm -hmm. okay i got gotcha. you i got gotcha. you uh and yes it comes out march uh, 17th so lyrically what's what do you want to get across cuz yeah it's it's very different because I just use Steel Panther as just the top of my head because they they'll talk about all the the cliche stuff, but it seems like you have yeah. a little bit more of a of a focus and a purpose. I mean, I would say in the whole rock and roll genre, glam rock could be the most interesting right now because you can choose and read in between the lines. I mean, in the 70s, obviously, glam rock was really liberal. You couldn't tell, are these, gay, are these guys straight or gay? Are they just playing with it? So it was really uh, open for everybody. Whereas in the 80s, it was cock rock and very muscular, masculine, which we all love as well. Mm -hmm. And now we can kind of define what glam rock stands for again. So Seal Panther fall back almost like a comedy show and like put the cliches to the extreme. Mm -hmm. That's why people love it. And it's hilarious. But then again, maybe the road is ending somewhere because you can't over exaggerate again and then again and again. You know, let's see how they're going to do that. And um, right now I have a feeling that I I'm far away from calling the big, easy political album, but we live in 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 a world which where everything is political you, you you can't you can't really choose not to be political right you just walk out the door you see a bumper sticker and you know you, you're in or into it you know yeah. or not you, you know you know what i mean so i do like telling the people it's time to relax uh and maybe to to make to take it easy in a way mm. and to listen to each other and uh you know stuff like that can also be political right away or a song like uh boys don't play with dolls is probably the opposite of what you would expect lyrical wise yeah tell me about that that that's that, that you know, great song uh yeah. it, it caught me off guard because i was like hmm that's an interesting title that could like you said be political but talk to me about it I mean, you know, you could maybe even say it's a feminine anthem in a way because mm. it's obviously playing with the cliches, but if you listen close to the verses, it is everything but macho. It, it's uh, it's the opposite. It's, uh, it's about, uh, you know, uh, cross-dressing. It's about being free and doing whatever you want. And I can see that in the crowd coming out to a John Diva show. You have everybody. You have 
hardcore rockers, you have uh, blue color, white color people, you have uh, um, young boys and girls who obviously weren't around when the roses uh, hit, hit, hit the street and they just like experienced that for the first time. So it's an open space for everybody to, you know, to do what you want as long as you, as you want to be glamorous. And uh, so Boys Don't Play With Dolls definitely is a, is a call for being open-minded, you mm. know? I like that. I, I like that message. I also like your shirt, but I can't see what it all, it, it says completely. What, and I can't stress this enough, the fuck. <laughs> That's what I thought it said. <laughs> I actually, I, took, I, I got a couple of new shirts for the shows. Just wait a second. I'm going to show you two more of you. Uh, okay. This sounds good. Oh, man. I, I appreciate that. And my shirt, for if you can't see, it's a Snoopy shirt that says, Welcome to the Gun Show. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> my yeah, that's mine. <laughs> that's a good one, too. How do you like that one? Satan loves you. I, I love it with two devil hands making a heart for who you are. I like that shirt, actually. <laughs> it's deep, isn't it? It's really, it's, it has a deep message to it, I think. And this is for the Big Easy, maybe for, for one of the shows. I like that, too. Okay, it's a girl being eaten by a shark. Stay positive. She's happy while being eaten by a shark. I like that shirt, too. Man, all right. I like it. Shirts, right? Uh, are these are uh, in the in the John Diva, you know, uh, closet. Are these available for purchase, or are these your special your special shirts, one off? It's my special shirts right now. You know, I just like um, I'm just uh, collecting new outfits for the shows. Over there is a is a whole bunch of uh, of boots and shoes. Uh, I can present them to you too, but that might be a little bit going too far. That's so I'm okay. just, you know collecting stuff right now because obviously it's a colorful show that we're doing and uh, uh we have cheerleaders on stage we have pyro effects we of course we have all the martial cabinets and uh special backdrops so it's there's a whole lot of stuff going on on stage and as a john diva uh, i gotta represent you know i like that <laughs> and this is why I, I, i'm glad you were recommended to uh the podcast to, to interview you because you, you're right up the alley and what i like where it's that era of music where you have a there's that hint of humor of course we're talking about it but there's also that serious side that you know the talented musicians you're not just there to you're, you're there with a reason you're there to have fun but you're there to connect with your audience you're there with a message so that's obviously that's part of the reason why i like guns and roses so much and you kind of have the axle look going right now with the backwards hat the bandana long hair uh, right. So I'm curious. This was, I mean, it's it's Wikipedia. It's it's never. I don't know how accurate this is. It said after you finished school, working odd jobs, you found employment as a songwriter for bands like Motley Crue, Bon Jovi, Aerosmith, and Guns N' Roses in 1986. Yeah. So yeah. writing songs with these bands, like what what, what does that mean? That's what Wikipedia says. If, if Wikipedia says that, that must be true, right? <laughs> Did you write that in there? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. Oh, okay. So that, that's not true. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I mean, there's, there's a lot of legends about John Diva, but this is, uh, I'm just smiling that one away now. <laughs> okay, fair enough. All right, I'll leave that up to interpretation then. I got it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I guess, but speaking of, of GNR, uh, 
I guess where were you uh, in 1987 when Appetite for Destruction came out? Because that's what, while I liked, I'm I'm gonna be 40 this year, so I kind of was on the the middle of hair metal and grunge, and, yeah. and GNR for me was the perfect blend of it. And yeah. so I, I mean, I was still very young, but that's why I gravitated towards that album and that band. But what about you? Where you obviously you've made this part of your life, this this uh, that that era of music where they were kind of like that, but they were a little different. So I'm just curious your perspective on Guns N' Roses. Totally, I I remember that back in '87, I was craving. I mean, you always crave for new music. I was I was not even a teenager, but just about maybe, and. Uh, I was in high school abroad, so I wasn't in the States back then. I was I was over here in Germany in, in, in a small town. And I remember there was word of that band, Guns N' Roses. And obviously I was too young back then because you could only get that kind of music if you either had money to go to the record store mm-hmm. or have an older brother or sister. Uh, and besides that, it was all uh, um, uh, it was uh, word of mouth, right? So people were talking about it. And before I ever heard the first song of Guns N' Roses, there was so much rumor about it and how hard they would be. And, and if you listen to it now, it's totally true because they came out in the same year, probably, when White Snake came out with 9087, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, which is from the sound a super poppy, almost cheesy album, even though I like it very much, but it doesn't rock, in, not in the way the Gunners rock. Gunners is like they bring back punk rock to to the sleaze glam metal scene. I mean, everything after Guns N' Roses or everything before Guns N' Roses, once they were there, sounds cheesy almost from from that area it really does um and it still sounds great appetite if you still listen to it it's it's the same with the first album of rage against the machine mm-hmm. it still sounds great happened to me with the, with the same album a couple of years later that i said wow everything after this record is different so i had the impression this is a great band everybody's talking about and they they play it rough but the first song i heard was sweet child of mine i said wow that that ain't tough that, that ain't hard. <laughs> that's wrong you know so i kind of with guns N' roses learned before i was a teenager how important an image is and how important image travels faster than light faster than sound it's, it's just there already and uh, it's so beautiful. So I'm not nostalgic, but looking back to the 80s growing up, it wasn't possible to get your whole hands on that on that music. You, you suddenly you somehow you had to wait for a couple of weeks to finally hear a song by the Gunners for the first time, and that made so much expectation. Mm. And you know, it's uh, if I if I think back right now i'm I'm totally inspired uh by this story because i can still feel how i felt when i was like 11 ish in a small small town not being able to get hold of that music it really is fascinating and that's why i i am not a millennial because i remember the days when it was word of mouth that you know the days before the internet and how difficult that is to get the word out 
without the social media campaigns now i mean everyone's spoiled you know a song instantaneously oh i haven't seen that movie i haven't heard that movie click 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 now you, you see it all of a sudden then yeah. you had to wait, and you're right, the anticipation. And it is, it's, it's funny that you, you heard all these rumors, and then Sweet Child of Mine is the first song that you hear. But that's the song that broke the band, really. So uh, that's, that's, that is quite fascinating. Did you ever get a chance to, to see them at all? Because uh, I know yeah. that. Oh, you yeah. have? Okay. Uh, I think it was my 18th birthday. And of course, that's a big one. Mm-hmm. And. Um, uh, my best fr- friends back back then they collected money because they came they came to germany and there was some infamous shows i saw the famous one but there was some infamous as well i think mannheim was a really infamous one because axel was three hours late or something uh the one i saw everybody was on time it was like you know i i I got the ticket in february and and the show was in july or something and you know as a 17 year old or 18 year old this is i mean you're so full of expectations and uh, then you hear okay this one is going this one is going that girl is going that hot girl is going and they want to camp out and um uh, of course we're going to get drunk like all the teenage things you know so um they were featuring uh faith no more and soundgarden as support and i mean that was that was so great i just i really remember coming into that stadium and soundgarden already was on and um, everything was a frenzy you know i don't remember that much from the concert because i think it was all too much to take it in mm. it was like it was like really going to see the pope or something you know <laughs> it was like something special and you're like you're like in 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 a, in a state of mind that afterwards you would say like I'm, i was hypnotized i couldn't even tell you I, I I can't remember the show. I can't. In a way, I admire that because now, again, nowadays, everyone just has their phone up. So if you don't right. remember anything, you just look at your photos and your pictures, which half the time, I mean, which, which half the time you're not even looking at. I, I can't even remember the last time I actually look at my pictures and videos after the concert, other than like when I posted for my podcast. It's to be present in the moment. And that's what you see. I feel like you're carrying on with the band in into 2023 is to be present in the moment with John Diva and the Rockets of Love. And I, I, I really do appreciate that from just a fan perspective, because not all bands are like that. It's uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm t- I shouldn't be old and bitter when I'm, I'm not even 40 yet. So, but I'm, I'm there. Yeah. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, not. I mean, it's, it's just like, you know, I, I actually all other interviews i've been doing so far i mean of course we 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 speak about the 80s and we speak what was different and uh, the big easy has some very nostalgic moments um and uh, now we're going really deep into that and sharing our first moments at concerts and it's uh, it was a different time uh, probably the the kids nowadays think it's exactly as special as it is if they go to a show and i very much hope that the kids who couldn't go out because of the pandemic within the last years take the chance to you know really go to rock shows and to 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 be a new generation to find out how special that is you but, see uh, you see a lot of kids uh, at your shows like uh, as well yeah like really you know really more than you would expect because you know they could say that's that music what they do there but I think because it's also a strange 
a very strong fashion that we're having here. And it's a fashion that kind of fits the zeitgeist because um, everybody is about gender right now, you know, and about what possibly could be possible. And uh, so, so, so it's, I mean, it's too, I, what I don't like about it is an ideology right now. I, I would prepare it to be a little bit more like in the 70s that everybody say, hey, it's cool, you know, just mm. whatever you like, floating. But we probably will get to that again. Mm. But at a show, um, I, I have that I have that special moment and emotion and energy. So yeah, we have a lot of young kids. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the best way to, I mean, you're going to be touring in your neck of the woods. Are you doing the States as well? Not yet. I mean, you know, it's, it's, um, no, you need a promoter. You need, you need quite some investment to go over. Uh, but it could easily be, uh, I mean, our management is out there and, you know, maybe as a support or something special guest to, to be introduced to the States, we would love that. Let's see. We don't have any plans yet, but then again, the album is not even out. So everything can happen. All right. I'm putting that out to the universe because, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's what this uh, America needs. That's why I like talking to fans and bands from other countries. It's because the rock heart beats harder in Germany or in South America. And, and here, I don't know, it's it's all about Bad Bunny and Lizzo. And I'm just like, I, it's, it's, just, it's just not for me. You know, that's why I'm doing yeah, a, yeah. A, a podcast about, you know, this... Uh, this era of music and metal and these kinds of people. I think it's the special kinds of people uh, that, that like this music. So uh, it, it was, is. A, a, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, it is. And I mean, of course we're, we're not reaching out for the masses here as well. You know, it is, it is a rather small scene, but I have the feeling that this scene could reach out a bit more to the mainstream that always makes it big. You know, at the beginning, Guns N' Roses was was not mainstream either, but it became mainstream. Uh, and uh, so, so we're also still talking about a subculture. But um, yeah, I, I really have the feeling we're, we're, we're onto something here. And besides, if you do a third album, you are on the map somehow, you know, like all the rock magazines come back to you again, say, we, we've been talking before and it's the third album. So, so you do get a different reputation, respect and broader, broader review situation. Um, and, and I'm sure we, we will find that uh, scenery and audience in, in the States. And I would love to go to the motherland because the States for me and for that sound, is the motherland hmm. more than the UK are, you know? And uh, it, it would be an honor and a pleasure and, and, and such an adventure, you know? But sooner or later, let's see, you know? Right on. Well, congratulations on the album. And the best way to find out, like if people can uh, pre, depending on when the people hear, uh, hear this, if they want to pre-order it or buy it when it's out, uh, John Diva rocks or just Don, JohnDiva.com, right? Just JohnDiva.com. Okay. Right. And we got John Diva rocks at Facebook. You're on Twitter. You're on Instagram. TikTok? Are you are you one of those people too? TikToks or no? <laughs> we ain't doing that. We ain't doing that. <laughs> yeah, the only reason uh, I don't I have a TikTok, but I don't do the stupid dances. It's just a, yeah. basically a YouTube page. Like that's just like for my interviews yeah. and stuff. That's yeah. all. You know, I'm 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 really trying to 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 keep my profile low, uh, just because I think it would. Uh, 
I would go hyperactive and crazy. I simply out of, out of protecting myself. I'm just like, okay, you know, Instagram is already almost too much for me personally. The mm -hmm. band is doing, but for me as a person, um, you know, my management can do that. I just don't. <laughs> No, I just don't like <laughs> yeah fair enough honestly if it wasn't for my line of work i think i would be done with social media oh, as know. well you know oh but i know whatever yeah. it's, it's a chance to meet you know people like you and listen to you know connect with fans other john diva fans of the gnr fans so uh, of course there's is a benefit to it but uh anyway uh, john diva it was a pleasure to meet with you, with you today and i hope we get to do this again Hey, call in any time. It was a pleasure as well. And uh, I think, uh, you know, I said that before. It's a very special podcast you're doing there. Uh, spread the words. Keep the energy high. Thank you for your positive energy and uh, the good questions. I enjoyed it a lot. And uh, talk to you next time. You got it. Recording hey. stopped. Thank you, John. Uh, I'm, I'm glad I caught that I wasn't recording the... See, I'm recording the audio, so I would have just had the audio, but I wanted the video. I wanted to see you, you know, and I play off no, the t-shirt and all that fun stuff, so... Yeah, I mean, that's that's the fun thing about it. No problem. I, I really enjoyed that very much, and uh, uh, always again, Brando, I, I really like it. Thank you. So uh, I'm hoping to schedule an Ian Hunter interview soon, so that's my idea is to pa uh, pair this with Ian Hunter, but I'm not sure what's... Um, what's on the on deck so it's hopefully next week or the week after i just put out uh, i just put out a matt sorum and um rick allen interview yesterday so i want to give that time to breathe so it may be like a week or two but okay. i'll follow up and tag you and all that fun stuff yeah please i'm gonna check them out and um i'm gonna be i'm gonna be watching your stuff i'm, I'm a fan now too i'm following man thank you john i'm a fan as well Great. Hey, you enjoy your day and, and also the upcoming spring. I didn't even ask. Did I ask where you're located? Uh, I'm in Queens, New York. I'm in New York. Are you City. still in New York? Okay. Yeah. So it actually snowed for the first time this winter the other day, but it was not much of anything. It's like melted already. So it's cold, but global warming has uh, kind of killed our winter this year. It's pretty, it's oh, yeah. quite amazing. Yeah. Now you're talking. Yeah. It's the same here. I mean, it's really sunny outside what time is it there uh it is uh 5 30. okay it's 11 30 here okay yeah, yeah. yeah six hours six hours but nice you're in, in new york i mean you know obviously new york is the closest from from europe so if we ever make it we probably would make it to new york i suppose because that's it's a european city it's just something that is uh, within reach and uh um, you'll be one of the first to know if, if we can make it. Awesome. I, I, I hope it happens, man. I really do. Stay safe. You too. Take care. You too. Bye. So that does it for this episode of Appetite for Distortion. Don't forget the conversation continues in between the podcasts and between the broadcasts on social media. So don't miss a thing GNR related or talking about upcoming guests. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Please follow our YouTube page. Follow and subscribe. Always putting up new clips up there as well. In addition to the full episodes that you could watch. So if you listen to these on iHeartRadio or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you can watch the podcast, even if it's not a Zoom, like with uh, Mark Rivera was a phoner, but I like putting up a, a bunch of pictures up there of Mark Rivera and whatever he's talking about. So you can enjoy watching the AFD show on our YouTube page where you can also find Appetite for Horror. Yeah, my new spinoff horror podcast is up there on YouTube and wherever you find your podcast the same platforms iheart and, and such 
And recently, I had um, David Guy Levy, the director of Would You Rather from 2012. Such a good, good horror movie starring Jeffrey Combs. So if you're a fan of that movie, you definitely want to check out episode number 12 of Appetite for Horror. And it's Appetite in the number four horror on all the social media platforms. So what's to come on the podcast? Well, right now, I think our next guest is going to be Kip Winger. Yes, from Winger. <laughs> so when I announce that officially on social media, if you want to get in some questions, easy. Just comment on the on the picture. That's how it works. That's why you want to follow uh, Appetite for Distortion in between the broadcast. So stay tuned for that and what other guests coming up. Also, may I remind you that I do have a Patreon. So what I'm actually going to try to do more than just, you know, hey, I have a Patreon. And if you'd like to contribute and support the podcast, it's there, is to do Patreon-specific episodes. So I have two up there right now one i just did one it's about i want to do behind the scenes of the podcast stories that maybe i don't feel comfortable just putting on the podcast but knowing that a select few of you will hear them uh kind of gives me a little bit more uh, leeway with sharing these things so right now there are two episodes so if you remember episode 44 way back I had Roxana Shirazi from the the book The Last Living Slut, born in Iran, bred backstage, and I'm I was a huge fan of her and the book. I uh, read the book, you know, many many years ago before this podcast or anything. So I was a legit fan of the book, and she was a great guest. And uh, interestingly uh, enough, little side. Uh, fun fact, I guess, about me that when I recorded that, that's the day that I met my wife. We had a date before I was recording the interview and she wanted to stay. So I guess she knew she liked me right away and she wanted to watch me record the interview. So that was pretty interesting. But that's not about that, the, uh, the Patreon episode. It's about how after Roxana, you know, we became friendly. And I'm sure you know I offer co-hosting opportunities not just to you, the AFD show listener, but, for, but guests also because I think it's a fun opportunity for them. And we were going to get the – or we were working on getting um, the lead singer from um, Manic Street Preachers. And she kind of just pushed her way to try to make her, it only her – being the interview like to interviewing him and i'm just like what this is my podcast and she it was just very weird so i go into that on um welcome to the patreon episode number one and number two i read you the the email that i got about the duff interview cancellation that happened a few years ago so you may remember when duff was promoting his solo album tenderness i had an interview confirmed and then uh, his radio reps canceled it. And I had a back and forth in email. Very, very professional. So, And I leave names out of it because I still want to be professional. But I read you the exact email that I received as to why I am not going to interview Duff. And the words that stick with me that make me kind of paranoid about asking certain questions or certain guests that have affected me a little too much. So that's up there on Patreon. So for a, a small donation, you can hear these episodes and, of course, just support the podcast in general. And uh, just want to be clever with what I can do 
to expand this podcast. So uh, any donation is appreciated, but I'm going to put up more special just for you Patreon episodes. So stay tuned for those as well. So upcoming guests, Patreon episodes. When are you going to hear the next ones? In the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, I don't know if soon is the word, but you'll see it. Security, I'm going home.